whoa, that got, that got loud really quick all of a sudden. Um, you guys hear me, right? You guys, you guys hear me? No, no, you can't hear me? No, still, still, they might not be able to hear me all the way in the back, all right? Hey, so I do want some of you to know that my, my little baby brother, the ugly guy in the back, he is here tonight, all right? So that guy right there, that's my brother. And uh, so just to let you know a little bit about my brother, I just know a little bit about my brother. So when we were younger, uh, my brother... No. So when we were younger, we always had our favorite superheroes, right, guys? Everyone has a favorite superhero. My favorite superhero was Captain America. It still is to this day. Jordan's favorite little superhero, uh, well, he went through a bunch of them. Spider-Man was really his favorite, but at this particular stage in his life, Thor was his number one. Thor was his tops. All right, so... We would go over to my granddad's house, and they didn't have the toys. They didn't have the stuff that we have today. So what I made my Captain America shield out of, because I was a boss, I took an old aluminum trash can lid, colored it up, made a, a Captain America trash can lid shield. All right? Jordan went, and he got an old rubber mallet from uh, my granddad's workshop, and, and that's how he was Thor, and he ran around him. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, his head was the same size then as it is now, all right? And so you had this great big-headed child running around with this little bitty body, all right, carrying this rubber mallet, and he said, I'm Thor. Sure you are, kid. Nope. And on this particular day, we're running around outside, and I've got uh, my Captain America shield. He's got his rubber mallet, and uh, I step in an ant bed, and I was running around barefoot. So I step in an ant bed, and of course, ants start crawling up my foot and biting me and everything, and I start screaming outside. Now, I was just a child, like a, a young little child, okay? So I was probably about seven at the time, maybe six at the time means Jordan was a year younger than that. All right, so I start hollering because I'm being eaten alive by ants from an ant bed. And my brother, with his great big head, looks over at my plight, looks over at my affliction. He says, Thor's going to save you. And here comes it's like a movie, slow motion. Actually, it's more like this because his heads couldn't keep up with his body. All right, he's running as fast as he can, and he gets over to me, and the way he's going to save me, he's going to take his Thor's hammer, and he claps down on top of my foot repeatedly over and over and over again. And my brother is a nincompoop, ladies and gentlemen. My granddad came out, and he sees that I'm being eaten alive by ants and I'm being bludgeoned by my brother. And he walks up to my big-headed brother, pushes his head, and it didn't take much. He fell right over. <laughs> Wipes the ants off my feet, picks me up, carries me in. And to this day, I still don't know if he knows what he did wrong on that whole scenario. And I saved your life, buddy. <laughs> so, I have so many stories about him from when we were kids, but I digress. We won't have time to jump into any more right now, but I've got, I don't think there is a number to how many stories I have 
home we grew up. But that story, I kind of bring that up. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, we are going to be talking about not Thor or Captain America or any of those heroes. We are going to be talking about the Savior of the world. We're going to be talking about the actual real Savior, not someone who comes and messes the problem up worse, but someone who actually comes and brings redemption. But before we get to that, I do want to turn our attention, I do want to turn our focus to uh, a serious matter, okay? We are going to hit a lot on death tonight. Now that's actually ringing kind of hard with Jordan and I. Um, you actually... I don't think know this. Most of you don't. Um, uh, we got word today that our grandmother passed. She uh, was at St. Vincent's East. Uh, and she, last Thursday, had a surgery. And she just never really recovered from it. She passed away uh, today. So I want to tell you, and I know I took a real hard left turn here, but that when I'm going to be talking about a Savior tonight... The real Savior, not a fake Savior, not a make-believe one, but when I'm talking about a Savior tonight, I understand that the, the reality of our need for a Savior is great. Last week, Mr. Heath came and he taught us from the Word of God that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin... We need a Savior. Let me tell you another story, not nearly as funny, uh, but very, very tragic. I've been to a lot of funerals in my life. Uh, some of them stand out in big ways. One particular funeral that stands out was not a relative of mine who was lost. It was a, a fellow from uh, the church that we used to attend, where I used to be the youth pastor. You've got to put a coin in the Wayback Machine. I used to be a, a youth pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist. There was a family there, um, and it was a, a dad, a mom. They had two kids, and uh, the dad was just a big guy. Big guy. And you know how sometimes you see these big guys, and they're just, they're tender hearts. Have you guys ever seen that? Like a, a big guy who just, I mean, they'll, they'll break and they'll, they'll cry. Well, he, he was one of those people. And he had a difficult relationship with his mom. And this big guy would often be broken down about it. His relationship with his mom was so difficult, in fact, that he wouldn't even let his kids around his mom. His mom was involved in a lot of messed up, terrible things. He told her repeatedly, you're not going to be allowed to see your grandchildren, my kids. You're not allowed to because your life is so much of a mess. And it would break his heart to do it and he would cry often about it. In this story, however, one day, his mom actually tried to kind of do a, a right thing. She was involved in a relationship, a very abusive very bad relationship, which was one of the main reasons why um, the guy wouldn't let the kids go around. And when he, well, we got word that his mom met the person that she was in an abusive relationship with in the food giant parking lot in Pinson, and she was going to break it off with this person and that person took out a gun right there in the food giant parking lot, 
killed her right there in cold blood. I remember going to that funeral and I remember just feeling the weight of death and the weight of sin and feeling the difficulty of it. And this guy who I knew, he was the youngest of all of his siblings, youngest of all of his brothers and sisters. And what they all did, they all wanted to have the brothers and sisters get up and say something about their mama. So from the oldest to youngest, they all got up and said something, and there were four of them. So they all get up and they talk about memories, about mama, and things like that. And the, his older sister, the sister who went right before him, she gets up and she says, this story about Mama and the way she ends is, she says, I know that, that Mama's just in heaven right now dancing with the angels. Now, this is a woman who had been living in sin up until the very last moment of her life. Not just like little bitty, like little white lie sins, like we might categorize them, like big sins. Like sins like that everyone around the world would look at and say, that's wrong was killed in cold blood murder because she was in a relationship that was mutually abusive. There was no evidence that she had ever met a Savior. No evidence that she had ever come to know Christ. And the daughter gets up and says, I just know Mama's dancing in heaven with the angels. And our buddy, this big, burly guy, gets up last. And tears start to well up in his eyes as he says this. He says, guys, I don't know how much dancing mom is doing right now. Because mama didn't know Jesus. She never trusted him. She never repented of sins. She was never saved by the only Savior there is. And this big, burly, tough guy in front of all of us in that funeral breaks down because it was in that moment he recognized the reality, the gravity of sin and of death. We're going to try to look at the reality of sin and death as it is told to us in the Scripture tonight. And then my job is to point you to the only Savior who can do something about it. So let's pray, and we're going to jump into the Scripture. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love You and we do praise You and we thank You that we can be aware of sin we thank You that we can be aware of wickedness and evil, that we can know it exists. And Father, not only can we know it exists, we can know that there is someone who can do something about it. That Father, we recognize there is no strength in our own hands, there is no strength in our own minds, there is no power, there is no communication that we can make that will ever save us from our sins, will ever save us from death. There is no power that we have or doctors have or nurses or anyone else has on this earth that can 
undo death, can undo sin. Father, our family is feeling the weight of sin and death right now. And Father, all of us have at one time felt the weight of sin and death. And God, I ask that You would help us to hate it. And that God, You would help us to despise it. And Father, to see Your Son, Jesus, as the only Savior who can do something about it. And not only can He, but He has. I ask all these things in the name of Your Son, Jesus, and for His sake. Amen. So you guys are going to need Bibles. We're going to open up to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me, okay? I'm going to ask you to imagine, and I know this is a little hard, most of you have been in church for a while. A lot of you have been in church with me for a while, so some of these stories are very familiar to you. Some of these things I'm going to say are very Commonplace to the point that we can just dismiss them. But for tonight, for our purposes this evening, I want to ask that you imagine with me that this is the first time we're hearing these truths. Okay? I want you to jump to that place. That this is the first time you've heard these truths. Now we're going to start in Genesis 3. That's what we're going to read in just a moment. But I want to, since this is our first time ever hearing these stories, this is our first time, at least in our imagining tonight, this is our first time ever considering these truths, I want to let you know God created everything. God created everything with the breath that He has. God said, let there be light, and there was light. From breath, from speech, God created light. God created animals and oceans and trees and plants, and He created fish and birds. Out of the breath that He spoke, everything was made that has been made except for one thing. He looked at all that He had created using His breath, and He said, it is good. And then one part of creation He took from the dust of the ground and said He fashioned man in His own image. Created man differently. Had an intimate relationship with man. Intimacy with man. And after He created man, created man in His own image, meaning that there's going to be something about man that shows God to everything else, to the rest of the world. He's going to be a reflection. He's going to be a mirror of who God is in a way that the rest of creation is not. After He creates man, He looks at creation and says, it is very good. There's no death in the world. There's no sickness in the world. There's no evil in the world. And He puts man... Adam and Eve, the first people, He puts them in a place known as the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, there are two trees you need to know about. There's a tree of life, and there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
of the tree of life, God says, enjoy, eat, and live. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the middle of the garden, He says, don't eat it. Because the day you eat of it will be the day you die. So, since this is our first time hearing these truths, let's see in Genesis chapter 3 where the story goes from there. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In the middle of the garden, tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it. The day you eat of it is the day you die. And what did Adam and Eve just do? They ate it. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one thing they were not permitted to enjoy and partake of. God shows up in the middle of that garden. Says it was the cool of the day. He comes to walk in the garden. And Adam and Eve, who were before sin into the world, it says they were naked and unashamed. And all that means, guys, that we need to understand is that there was nothing about them, nothing about them that they needed to be ashamed of. They were right and perfect they were very good. Their relationship with God was perfect. They needed to hide nothing. Their relationship with each other was perfect. They needed to hide nothing. But as soon as they ate of that fruit, they look at each other and all of a sudden they think, I have something to be ashamed of. I've got to cover myself up. I've got to cover up my shame. I've got to cover it over. God shows up. He's walking in the garden. He says something interesting. He says, where are you? And this is the way you have to think of it, okay? When I would play hide and seek with my children, when they were very little, a lot of times, particularly Elijah, he would go hide in the most obvious place. Daddy, you can't find me. And I would look at him and I would say, where are you? Knowing full well where he was. So it's not that God isn't aware of where Adam and Eve are. He says, where are you? But I don't think it's the tone that, where are you? I don't think it's playful. 
Another time when Elijah would hide from me when he, when he was in trouble. And he would go hide in an obvious place. I knew exactly where he was. I'd walk in his little room. And I would say, Alright, son. Where are you? Come on out. Knowing full well where he was. Come out. And he would come out. Adam and Eve come out. They meet God there. He says, why were you hiding? I say, because we were naked and we were ashamed. and We didn't want you to see us like this. And he said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit of the tree I told you not to eat? And Adam immediately, this, and this is his oldest time. Look at this is his oldest time. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Immediately, what do they want to do? They want to put the blame on somebody else. It can't be my shame. It can't be my promise. The woman you gave me, no, no, it's the serpent who deceived me. They're immediately wanting to pass the buck, point the finger at someone else. We do it today. So what should happen to Adam and Eve right then and there? What did God say was going to happen to them if they ate of that tree? They would die. What should happen to them right then and there? God should squash them right then and there. And in a sense, they do die. There is a death to their spirit that they don't see. But it's very real. They recognize this death to their spirit immediately because they immediately recognize shame in one another and in themselves. So there already is a death, but God would have been completely right to have smashed them right then and there, to crush them. But God, instead, says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Interestingly enough, what did people get created from? Dust. This is not necessarily that you're going to eat dirt because you're crawling on the ground, but it's also saying that all the work that you've just done, you will still, still not have victory even over these men because I will do a work. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what God says there, He says, listen to me, you serpent, listen to me. One day, there will be a child who is born, and this child is going to be born of the woman, and this child is going to crush your head, is going to crush all of your work, is going to bruise your head beyond repair. And in the process, you're going to bruise his heel. You're going to hurt this child. You're going to hurt this son. But he will completely crush you. And we recognize that the curse of sin comes upon Adam and Eve. And real quickly, before we leave this chapter, I want you to look at verse 23 of chapter 3. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Remember, there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They weren't supposed to eat that one, but they did. What was the other tree? The tree of life. If they ate that tree of life, what would they have? Life, it makes sense, right? But it wasn't a kind of, we eat this tree of life and we just get to live forever. It was more of a, we can always go to the fruit of this tree. We can always take from this tree and eat and we will always have life. Not because it's a one and done kind of a thing, but because God has given us something that is so wonderful and is so gracious that we can always go to it and eat it and we can always live forever. We can always be kept alive because we have this fruit that God has given us. And God looks at Adam and Eve and He says, I'm not going to let you live forever in this sinful state. You don't get to live forever in it. Rather, you're going to be cut off from the tree of life. You will die even in your sin because I'm not going to have you live forever in your sin. I'm sending a, ch a child, I'm sending a son who will undo all of this. And we think, well, maybe with Adam and Eve, maybe that's the end of it. Maybe the sin, maybe the curse of sin is done. Look at Genesis chapter 5. Huh. All right. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, He created them. And He blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And then there's three words to end the story of Adam. And what are those three words? And he died. Well, we knew Adam was going to die. He sinned in the garden and he died was a part of his story. And he died was natural for him. And he died. Okay, but it's got to be done now. The curse is over, right? Remember, this is the first time we're reading it. This is the first time we're going through it. And he died. Its story is finished now, right? Because Adam's gone. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years. And what three words come there at the end? And he died. Verse 9, we hear about Enosh. What does 11, verse 11 say is his story's end? And he died. Kenan, and he died. Mahalalel, or Mahalalel, uh, excuse me, and he died. Jared, and he died. Guys, and he died is the story of every person in this story. It's my story, it's your story, it's everybody's story. And he died is a terrible story. It's the curse of sin. It's the reality of sin. Guys, I hate death. I don't know anyone who sits there and says, I love death, bring on death. No, death is the curse. 
Death is the evil. Death is the wrong. Death is coming for everybody here. And when we read this and it's our first time, we sit there and we feel the weight of it. And he died is hitting them and it's coming for me until we get to this guy named Enoch in verse 21. Look here at it. We get three very different words. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch, what three words come now? Walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch, what does it say? Walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Wait a minute. If we're reading this for the first time, it looks like we've got, we've got this option in front of us. It looks like we've got maybe something here in front of us. The option looks like we're either, and he died is our story, or walked with God is our story. Maybe this guy named Enoch, maybe because he walked with God, maybe because those three words are his story, maybe the and he died is finished now. But it's not... Because verse 25, we start reading about Methuselah and at the end of his story, we have the same three words again, and he died. When we read about Lamech, the last words about him are, and he died. So what is this walk with God? What is it? We've got nothing here with Enoch. What is this walk with God? We see those words again. Skip over to chapter 6, verse 9. We see that evil and corruption comes all over the world. But Genesis 6, 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Now you guys have heard of Noah before, right? Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah, what three words does it say right there? Walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Maybe, maybe Noah provides us with a clue of what this walk with God is. Maybe he's the one. And remember, if we're reading this for the first time, we've got a fever pitch right now that I don't want and he died to be my story. I want walked with God to be my story. Enoch gave me no clues about what does it mean to walk with God. Maybe Noah does. And we see... In the story of Noah, God gives Noah very specific instructions that a flood is coming, build an ark, and He gives him very specific instructions about how wide it's to be, how tall it's to be, how deep it's to be, all these kinds of things. He gives very, very important instructions. In verse 22 of chapter 6, it says this, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Maybe that's it. Maybe if we do what God commands us, maybe if we do everything perfectly, maybe if we obey it exactly as He lays it out for us, maybe if that is what we can accomplish, maybe then we've walked with God. Maybe then that's our story. Because I don't want and He died to be my end. I want walked with God to be my story. Noah doesn't die in the flood. He does die later. And he died is still a part of his story. Is it 
is this walk with God that we have to obey Him perfectly? If it is, we're in trouble. Because skipping ahead to Exodus chapter 20, we get these things called the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are God's laws. God's laws, guys. What is a law? It's a rule. Is the rule that you're meant to break? No, you're meant to follow it. You're meant to obey it. Okay. If walk with God means we obey God completely, if that's how we get the walk with God, if that's how we get to have that be our story, let's, let's look at God's laws. Let's look and see if we've obeyed Him. The first law is this, have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. I'm going to put it in this term, in this way. What we can say that means is you must not ever love anything that's alive more than you love God. Never love anything that's alive more than you love God. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I've broken that law. I love my family. I love my kids. I love my wife. But even before that, before I even knew who God was, when I was just a child, when I didn't even know the name of Jesus, I absolutely loved my parents and people far more than I loved God. I'm guilty of this. I haven't obeyed all that God commanded me. And so are you. The next one is have no other idols before me. An idol we can define here is anything that's not alive that we love more than God. I've broken this one as well. Let me give you a, a really, really simple litmus test to see if you are perhaps guilty of having an idol that you love more than God. Alright? Most of us in this room have a phone. Most of us in here have spent plenty of time looking at our phone today. Most of us in here have spent plenty of time playing on our phone, looking at television, doing all kinds of frivolous things, and yet many of us in this room didn't even think about opening up our Bibles today. That would be an idol. I've broken this one. The third one, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. That means don't use God's name as a four-letter filth word. Don't use it as a cuss word. There are people that say the name of Jesus Christ and they say it in a way that is disrespectful and is using His way as a cuss word. But there's a big one. There are also people who shout at the top of the lungs, Oh my! And they say, God. It's a serious crime in the Scripture. It's blasphemy. It's using God's name as a cuss word. I'm guilty of this one. I imagine you're in the same boat with me. The fourth, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Always take one day out of the week. Use one day out of the week and do nothing with it but rest in God and use it for glorifying God. I'm guilty of that. Honor your father and your mother. I'm guilty of breaking that one. 
So are you. I know most of your parents, and I can have conversations with them, and they would tell me, yes, yes, they are guilty. Do not murder. Hopefully I have no cold-blooded killers in this room right now. But the reality is this, that Jesus told us in Matthew that if we have ever hated anyone in our heart, we have committed murder against them. And guys, I love my brother with all my heart, but there were times growing up where... I hated him. Even if it was just for a second. That's murder against my brother in my heart. Do not commit adultery. The men, uh, I don't think there's any women in here who are married, but we've all, we're all married. We all understand what that means, but that's not just for those who are married. Understand that I am married and the Bible tells me that I am not to treat anyone the way I treat Miss Crystal that is reserved for her and for her alone. But in Matthew, Jesus tells us that if we've ever looked with lust, if we've ever even thought about doing that with someone else, that we have committed adultery in our heart. Do not steal. Guys, I stole a pack of Juicy Fruit when I was a kid. I'm not proud of it. But it even goes deeper than that. Guys, there were plenty of times when I took things from my brother that did not belong to me. I stole them from his room or I stole them from what he had. And when I was caught, I was told to give it back. And I did. It doesn't matter the value of the object, but I am a thief. Do not lie. How many of us in here have told a lie before? Yeah, everybody. And do not covet, meaning don't envy, don't want something that... Is not yours. I'm guilty of that. Guys, is there anyone in this room, anyone in this room who has obeyed God completely? No. In fact, we are probably all in here among us guilty of breaking all ten. Is there anyone in this room who has walked with God? No. So what is our story? And he died. Or for the ladies in here, and she died. So what do we do? If we're reading this for the first time, and if these are the conclusions we come to, then we've got to be pulling our hair out. We've got to be grinding our teeth because we're in a situation to where our sin is so heavy upon us, to where the breath of dying is breathing down our throats. And it's coming for you and you and me and all of us across the world, across the globe, and there's nothing we can do about it. Because none of us have walked with God. Just quickly... In Matthew chapter 1, we read about a child who's born, is born of a woman, not born of a man, but born of a woman, just like God said 
in Genesis chapter 3. And this is the one who will overthrow the work of the serpent. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All throughout this genealogy, you've got this father had this son, and this father had this son, and this father had this son, all the way down the line until you get to Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, you've got, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, okay, so you've got Jacob and his son Joseph, and you expect it to go, Jacob, son Joseph, Joseph is the father, and his son Jesus, but it doesn't do that. It says you've got Jacob, and then you've got Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. You got this child who is born of the woman, not of Mary and Joseph, but of Mary and of God. And where Adam and Eve failed in the garden, where they messed up in the garden because the serpent came, the deceiver came, and he tempted them and he tested them, and they failed. We see that Jesus comes and He doesn't fail. If you skip ahead to Matthew chapter 4, I know I'm running a little bit late on time, but we've got that Jesus walks into the wilderness and when Jesus walks into the wilderness, He meets that deceiver. He meets that serpent. He meets Satan Himself. And He comes and He's going to try His very best to deceive Jesus and to get Him to fail just like Adam failed in the garden in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. Naturally, He would be hungry. And the tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Let me back up just for a moment because He uses the same line that He did with Eve in the garden. You remember what He said to Eve in the garden? Did God really say that you can't eat of any fruit of any tree here? Did God really say that? And here He's going to do with a whole nother. Did God really say? Because right before He walks into the wilderness, right before Jesus goes up to be tempted, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Look just above chapter 4 at verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Him, and behold, a voice from heaven, this is the voice of God, said, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is My beloved Son. And then what does Satan say as soon as he sees Him? If you are the Son of God, did God really say you're the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But He answered, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus doesn't take the offer from the deceiver. 
Jesus succeeds in righteousness where Adam failed. Jesus conquers over sin in his own life. And because he conquers over sin in his own life, and he is the Son of God, because he is in that position, he is uniquely the one and only person who can undo the work of the deceiver, who can undo the work of sin and death, who can cancel out the and he died that is coming for you and is coming for me. He is the only one who has walked with God in actuality and obeyed all that God has ever commanded. And so He is uniquely positioned to do something as a Savior for your condition and mine. And this is what He does. He lives a perfect life. Absolutely righteous. Absolutely upright. And the world hates him and the world decides they're going to kill him. And guys, they hurt him. They whip him. They make fun of him. They punch him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They rip out his beard. They put nails in his wrists and through his feet and they hang him up on a cross. And everybody saw it. Everybody saw the nails. Everybody saw the crown of thorns. Everybody heard the mocking voices. Everybody saw it. But what they didn't see, what they didn't recognize was happening at that very time is this completely righteous Son of God born of a woman completely overcoming all temptation and all sin. This perfect Son of God up on that cross being killed was taking the punishment that I deserve. And on that cross, a transaction was taking place. God, through His Son, or God was placing, Christ was placing my sin, all of the guilt of my sin, all of the punishment of my sin, He was placing it on Himself while He was on that cross. And He was putting it to death on that cross. In a very literal sense, He was crushing my sin. Crushing the work and the curse of my sin. Not only was He taking my sin, He was giving to me His righteousness. All of His victories and all of His successes are mine in Christ through the cross. When God looks at me now, God doesn't see a guilty sinner condemned to die. He doesn't see and he died as my story. Rather, he sees walked with God not because I've done it, not because I've obeyed Him. I've proved to you. I stood up here before you and I confessed that I've broken all ten of the commandments along with you. I'm in the same boat with all of you. Not because I had strength in my hand or in my might and my abilities, but because Christ had might. Christ had power. And Christ's righteousness is mine. And my sin was taken by Him and He died a sinner's death. The story wasn't over because three days later he got up from the grave 
We know the work that He did was powerful to save us. More powerful than Thor with an anthill. More powerful than any other make-believe thing that we can throw out there. He was powerful to save us. So that one day, if Christ saves us from our sin, if the Bible, the Bible tells us, Jesus Himself tells us in Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the Gospel. If we repent and believe in the Gospel, then we will be saved and if that is our story, if walked with God is our story because of what Christ has done, then one day someone won't have to stand up at our funeral and say, I don't know how much dancing they're doing. One day we'll be able to say about our life, we're with Jesus, the very One who saved us from sin and death through His cross and through His might. So what's your story? And He died? Or walked with God? You belong to and He died. Unless Christ has come and changed your story to walked with God. Let's pray. And we'll sing to the Savior who bought us redemption. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love You and we praise You and we thank You, Lord, for the reality of Your Son's sacrifice for the truth that we can have life in Him and righteousness in Him and that our sins can be forgiven and taken away as far as the east is from the west. Lord, I pray that we would feel the weight of sin and death in this room. And Father, it would cause us to hate it and it would cause us, Lord, to love Your Son and to cherish Your Son. I pray that You would save those among us who are not believers. That, Father, You would call some from out of darkness into Your light. It's Your Son's name, Jesus. We do ask these things and for His sake. Amen.